0: I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Lodge, number 693. Welcome to Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, while at the same time encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time until you make exercising a cornerstone of your daily routine. Because Freemasonry is work. And the more you work on yourself, the closer and closer you get to the point within the circle. Masonic muscle. We give you more light, but no lightweights. Welcome back, brethren. We just had a uh, uh, lodge night. Lodge night is Tuesday nights at Palm Springs Lodge, number 693. And uh, three lucky, or maybe not so lucky, depending on how you uh, view that, Right, uh three lucky prospects received their applications. John Stozier, Shane Arch, and Steve Grasha uh, they've been coming to our lodge for eight months. they've been attending stated meeting dinners they've been uh, helping out after dinners, they help clean up, they help serve they help wherever they can I mean, but we've made it a point to let them know that that's one of the expectations so so they know this. They've been a- attending our Trivium discussion groups, which is a part of our charitable contribution to the community coming from uh, Palm Springs Lodge, and they've attended several fellowship nights with us where they finally got to know a number of us, and uh, we finally got to know them a little bit more. And congratulations to those gentlemen, John Stozier, Shane Arch, and Steve Grasha, now you know Now you all know So there it is I want Today I want to read A little something from a book That We hear about every once in a while As we join Masonry And we begin to do our investigations uh, But I don't know if Any of you actually go out there and get it Reach out and get it And the book is Illustrations of Freemasonry by William Preston And this is a 76 1772 rare edition it's a reprint and i want to read a little something to you to give you an idea of what he wrote back then and this was not ritual remember uh this was something that he wrote uh the public can get it they had access to it and it talked about freemasonry and this is what uh this is how freemasonry was being viewed by william preston at that time and he He was talking about the three classes of uh, Masons. Let's read what he says. He says, "Three, three classes are generally received under different appellations. The privileges of each are difficult, are distinct, and particular means are adopted to preserve these privileges to the just and meritorious. Honor and probity are the sole recommendations of the first class in which the practice of virtue is enforced and the duties of morality is inculcated, while the mind is prepared for social converse and a regular progress into the principles of knowledge and philosophy. Diligence, assiduity, and application are necessary qualifications for the second class, in which an accurate elucidation of science, both in theory and practice, is given. Human reason is cultivated by a due exertion of our rationale and intellectual powers and faculties. Nice and difficult theories are explained, fresh discoveries are produced, and those already known are beautifully embellished. The third class consists of a selected few whom truth and fidelity have distinguished, whom years and experience have improved, and whom merit and abilities have entitled to preferment. it with them the ancient landmarks are preserved and from them we learn and practice those necessary and instructive lessons which dignify the sacred art and qualify its governors to convince the unenlightened part of mankind of its excellence and utility okay those were the three distinctions, and those are the three things that, as Masons, we're supposed to be focusing on, according to William Preston. Okay, the inner apprentice, it says, is supposed to be uh, for the inner apprentice, honor and probity are the sole recommendations to the first class, in which the practice of virtue is enforced and the duties of morality inculcated. While the mind is prepared for social converse and a regular progress into the principles of knowledge and philosophy. All right. Then it says diligence, assiduity, and application are necessary qualifications for the second class, in which an accurate elucidation of science, both in theory and practice, is given. Human reason is cultivated. Did you hear that? Human reason is cultivated. This is the second degree. This is what we're supposed to be doing in the second degree as fellow crafts. And it says, human reason is cultivated by a due exertion of our rational and intellectual powers and faculties. And then, get a load of this. Nice and difficult theories are explained. Fresh discoveries are produced. And those already known are beautifully embellished. Now, can you imagine, I mean... Can you imagine if that was being practiced by Masons during this time our difficult time in these last two and a half years where people were getting shouted down, where, where theories were being shut down if it wasn't in accordance with a certain party line or perspective and, uh, it began to become tougher and tougher to have open discussions about any of this because, uh, you were being censored. But yet, here in this book by William Preston, which, by the way, most, if not all, Masonic jurisdictions follow some form of Prestonian uh, ritual and lectures. When it came to America, you know, uh, I believe Jeff Webb and uh, Cross, uh, you know, kind of worked it and, and uh, massaged the the lecturers and they're the ones who began to to uh, travel around the United States lecturing and teaching others so that they can have their own way of lecturing and and I don't know if they're trying to unify all of the United States and having you know one unified way of teaching the brethren or not I don't know if that was their end goal but that's they, you know, these other states wanted to hear them, and they would pay them to come to the states, to their state, and lecture to them, and teach them these, uh, these charges and, and uh, lectures and symbols, so that they can, so that their state now can have something to work off of. And I believe here in California, it's a combination of uh, uh, Preston Webb ritual. But let's go back to this, because not too many, if any, I don't think anybody is uh, actually going off of uh, where they are in their own way, but what I was talking about before I went off on that little tangent there was that human reason is cultivated by a due exertion of our rational intellectual powers and faculties. Nice and difficult theories are explained, fresh discoveries are produced, and those already known are beautifully embellished. And then the third class consists of a selected few whom truth and fidelity have distinguished. So the Master Masons were consisted of a selected few whom truth and fidelity have distinguished, whom years and experience have improved, and whom merit and abilities have entitled to preferment. Within them, the ancient landmarks are preserved. So it was, according to William Preston, it was very, very clear. It was very precise, how this system all fit together. And there was a definite progression of what was being learned, how it was being taught and assimilated in the minds of men. And then after years and years, you you finally, amongst the other fellow crafts, I mean, Master Masons, you were selected amongst them, and then you were, it was even more select few. That book is readily available. You can read it. It's not divulging anything uh, that you can't find anywhere else. It's, It's very important to read and assimilate as a Mason, because now you're getting into the the foundations of how this, uh, our ritual was already evolving and continued to evolve. Because remember, as I've stated in other podcasts, and you'll find on other podcasts as well, I believe there was a great, man, there was a great episode on Whence Came You. <clears throat> I can't remember if it was in the 200s or the 300s, but they, they read, Rob Johnson read an article about the evolution of our ritual here in the United States and how it progressed but then also I believe from 1717 and so at 1717 there seems to be only one ritual with elements of all three degrees then later on there was two degrees and then finally in 1723 there was all three degrees With the third, you know, the third degree having some of the most famous, uh, well, most fame because of uh, what happens in the third degree, all right? But this book here is getting very, very into detail in those three simple paragraphs telling us exactly how it's supposed to be going down. My question to you, brethren, is has that been happening? And be honest with yourself, you know, how has that been happening? And can we bring that back, that that mentality that what was read? And I'll share it with you one more time because it's worth sharing. It says three classes are generally received under different appellations. The privileges of each are distinct and particular means are adopted to preserve these privileges to the just and meritorious, to the just and meritorious merit. Merit. Honor and probity are the sole recommendations to the first class. Honor and probity. So we do something cool in the Trivium Discussion Group slash Socrates Cafe. And that is we bring these old different, I mean, these uh, different dictionaries out. And when we come to words like that, like probity, okay, how was Because Pro- probity was being used in a certain way back in 1772 when this book came out. So it's it's imperative that we learn what that meant at that time and then can it still be used in the same way today because we get into grammar and then we logically put these things together and then with with our rhetoric we can accurately convey information to the rest, to the crowds, and if we're good at it, we can rest assured that the words we are intending and what they mean are, you know, our intention of what they mean is, is being received in that way by the listener, and that's an art form. So we have to look up probity, right? Because probity and honor, right? Okay, we... And so it says honor and probity are the sole recommendations of the first class in which the practice of virtue is enforced. The practice of virtue is enforced and the duties of morality inculcated while the mind is prepared for social converse and a regular progress into the principles of knowledge and philosophy. Okay, so it's being prepared for the second stage. And what is it? With diligence, assiduity, and application are necessary qualifications for the second class, in which an accurate elucidation of science, both in theory and practice, is given. Human reason is cultivated by a due exertion of our rational and intellectual powers and faculties. Nice and difficult theories are explained, fresh discoveries are produced, and those already known are beautifully embellished so you're almost going to like you know higher education a higher class so the common man was 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 being told that if they joined freemasonry you were going to get this education maybe you couldn't get it anywhere else maybe education was difficult to come by people were working schools weren't that ready readily available uh you know the common man had to make ends meet and most of time a lot of times you know the Mother and father were working, and so you didn't have time for education. But if you joined the Freemasons, all of a sudden you had this opportunity to be exposed to this education. And now let's read again what the third class was. The third class, or Master Masons, I put that in there. That doesn't say that in the book. But the third class consists of a selected few whom truth and fidelity have improved, or uh, have distinguished. Sorry whom years and experience have improved and whom merit, there's that word again, and abilities have entitled to preferment. So that right there is, you're talking about a lot of work. And at our lodge, we've been really hammering home to the prospects and to members as well who are willing to listen because you know who you are, brethren. You uh, You know, you put the effort that you put into it, but it's work, especially once you start going up through the chairs and there's more and more memory work and more and more floor ritual work that you have to begin to combine. And then you have to learn the timing and the rhythm. This is work and it takes years to learn it and to learn it properly. And you know, there's brothers that are good at it. There's brothers that are not so good at it, but either way, there has to be a lot of time and effort being spent. And that's what this is alluding to here. And then it says, with them the ancient landmarks are preserved that's the idea if you're paying attention and you're studying and your lodge is regularly giving some type of education to your officers because they deserve that if they're spending all this time at lodge and they're sacrificing time away from friends and family to you know lodge night is tuesday night and you're showing up early and you're going to to, uh Um, rehearsals, you know, getting ready for first, second, or third degree. Your lodge should be giving some sort of further education on these topics, on the symbol, on the history, on uh, traditions, on the origins of Freemasonry. Because it says here, with them the ancient landmarks are preserved. And from them we learn and practice those necessary and instructive lessons which dignify the sacred art and qualify its governors, qualify its governors. I like that. To convince the unenlightened part of mankind of its excellence and utility. We can't do that without proper education. And then once we get that education, you have to meditate on it. You have to contemplate on it. You have to give it thought. You have to enter into conversations with other people who are on the same uh, path and the same progressive discipline as you so that you can test your theories out. You can test to see if you're actually understanding what you're understanding correctly because more than likely he understands it a little bit differently than you too. But you should definitely have some sort of understanding so that you can be more effective in conveying that. To the next guy next to you or to, you know, the guy that you're trying to train to do a certain job. You have to have, in order to do that, you have to have knowledge and experience. And the operative craft, you know, in masons, that's why a master mason took on an apprentice for seven years. To make sure that that apprentice got all the practice he needed so that he can demonstrate that he was proficient. He wasn't going to demonstrate his theory. He was going to demonstrate his proficiency, and that's kind of what this, this, well, not kind of, that's what it's demonstrating, what I just read to you. That's coming from the William Preston's Illustrations of Masonry. The reprint, the, it's a reprint of the rare 1772 edition. He began to expand upon this, this uh, book, illustrations of masonry and you know at first it started out as like maybe 150 pages or so and as it be as he began to refine his message the book grew and you know to like four or five hundred pages or something like that and then we start getting the refined lectures and the charges and some of the other stuff that came out but there you go the second thing I wanted to share with you is from a book called the Craftsman and Freemason's Guide, from Cornelius Moore. This book came out in 1854, and the complete title of this book is The Craftsman and Freemason's Guide, containing a delineation of the rituals of Freemasonry, with the emblems and explanations so arranged as greatly to facilitate in in acquiring a knowledge of the rites and ceremonies of the several degrees from an apprentice to that of select master and the order of priesthood. And this is uh, from Cincinnati. So I believe this is uh, part of their ritual, the way it was being practiced back in 1846. I don't know if it's still being practiced like that, uh, like the way it's, probably written in here, but what I wanted to share with you is something very, very uh, important for for all of us, and that is the, they even wrote something for a person wishing to become a Mason, so get a little of this, because I'm not revealing anything, but it's good to share it with you, so it says, instructions to a person wishing to become a Mason, all right? And if you guys are are masons already, some of this will sound familiar to you. Or maybe not if you haven't been paying any attention. Because some of you do show up and just fall asleep. And you know who you are, brethren. And it's not just, uh, you know, in a particular lodge. This is everywhere. All right. It says, no person can become a mason consistently with the ancient and salutary usages of our order unless he be freeborn. And at least 21 years of age. That was back in that time. Here in California, they uh, recently changed that to 18 years old. Well, not recently, it was like in 2010. Of a good moral character, temperate, industrious, charitable, and possessed of public spirit and the social virtues. He must be of sufficient natural endowments to be respectable and must have entire all the faculties and senses of a man. He must also have an estate office, trade, occupation, or some visible means of acquiring an honest livelihood as becomes the members of this ancient and honorable fraternity. In short, he must have a sound head and a good heart and be exempt from all those ill qualities and vices which bring dishonor to the craft. A person, a person possessing the foregoing qualifications must be proposed at his own voluntary request by a friend or, or acquaintance belonging to the lodge of which he wishes to become a member at least one meeting previous to the time of initiation. Let me go back real quick to where he says he must also have an estate, (laughs) office, trade, occupation, or some visible means of acquiring an honest livelihood. I don't know about you, but that reeks of high standards. And I say that because Freemasonry has been going through its ups and downs, and it's been going through a down cycle for a long time now. Many brothers for a long time they didn't know how to handle this. They They had mixed feelings about it. Some, oh, this is oh my God, the world's going to end, the sky is falling, and we need to just open up the floodgates and let everybody in, you know, so that our fraternity doesn't die out. Others said, good. If the fraternity has to die out, then it has to die out. That means that we have nothing left to offer. The value just isn't there anymore. We couldn't adapt with the times, and therefore, we must close our doors. And others said, like recently with the conversation i had with Dago rodriguez he said i think that's a good thing because we're weeding out the members that should have never been members and i'm paraphrasing he didn't say it like that but basically we're getting better quality now versus quantity and a lot of lodges are realizing and a lot, a lot of members and a lot of lodges are realizing that this is a good thing this is a very good thing And so, if we stem the tide, and the lodges begin to focus on what they want to do, because that is every lodge's responsibility. You, as a group of men, have to get together and figure out how you, as a group, are going to practice Freemasonry. And then after that, you're going to figure out what your values are, what you guys value together, what your vision and mission statements are. You write out a plan and then you begin to execute it. Because now you have an end goal in mind. Now you have you you have an idea and it has to be clear. It can't just be a nebulous idea. Well, we kind of know. It has to be clear because then the men can begin to really apply all of their efforts and energies towards reaching that goal. You may not know how you're going to get there, but because you now know where you want to go, you can begin to utilize all your social capital. I went to a, a, uh, quite a number of these, uh, masters and wardens retreats, which are leadership retreats and, uh, you know, uh, uh, like think tank uh, you know arts and craft type type of deal where you you go in and you throw in your best ideas and one of the things I heard that was really cool is that they said that you have to learn how to use your social capital what is your social capital well it's the people in your lodge and if if you are not getting participation if Members are not showing up. That's because they don't feel like you're giving them a part or they don't have any role to play or anything to contribute. Well, I'm here to tell you that if that's happening, that's because you, as a lodge, have not figured out what you're trying to do. You're just just going with the flow. And believe me, we got a lot of that. Uh, at those masters and wardens retreats when you start going going off into your breakout groups and you start uh, hearing ideas you start brainstorming you begin to see that a lot of these brothers you can tell they don't know where their lodge is going they don't know what their lodge stands for or how they're going to practice the craft and and therefore they're just you know just the the boat is just rudderless and it doesn't have any direction and so therefore your social capital is being wasted big statement maybe maybe but it takes effort it takes time and effort and yeah you you know once you once you commit you can no longer you can no longer keep saying well it's just a volunteer organization Well, you know, there's only so much I can do. Well, we are not asking you to do it all. At the same time, there has to be a certain level of commitment. And you can't give yourself little weasel ways out because that's what hurts the lodge. That's what hurts the plan. When you begin to allow other members the, the little weasel way out or their little outs or stuff like that so that's you know in many conversations that i ha- that i've had with grand lodge officers and other members that have been long-standing fraternity when push came to shove and and i and i pressed the question long enough they said yeah yeah we you know in a way we're kind of enabling that you know we're you know they were still being politically correct because they were saying in a way we're kind of enabling that no you are enabling it Demanding a high standard is something good. There's nothing wrong with that. All championship teams have them. All championship, um, uh, well, I can't say championship, but all uh, high-performance organizations have high standards. And yeah, it's based on a paycheck. And yeah, Freemasonry is voluntary, but there has to be a point where it stops being voluntary. Gentlemen, you guys know that. And if that's not happening, it's because you don't want to commit. If you don't want to commit, just say that and just be, you know, be that member that shows up when you show up um, that uh, does, you know, doesn't really have your heart into it. But then you're going to have to go back, brethren of that lodge, and you're going to have to be honest with yourselves and wonder, hey, man, are, are we focused? Are we focused as a group? Are we given the example of how to do it? are Are we using our time wisely and efficiently? Is the master setting designs upon the trestle board where he where the uh, the instructions are clear, the vision is clear, and now the craft knows what they're supposed to be building together and as things happen and as challenges rise up and problems rise up, you guys know what to do because your vision is clear, and you guys know where you're trying to get, all right, and it's the same thing, like I've been saying, I've been making the correlation with exercising, when you're, when you're exercising, and you start, you have to have a beginning goal, I want to lose 50 pounds, I want to gain 15 pounds of muscle, I want to be more flexible, I want to improve my, uh, you know, my time in the, in, the, in the mile, I want to be able to, you know, in, in two or three weeks, I want to be walking every day for 30, 40 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. You have to have an end, an end goal. You have to know what you want and then begin to work your way to it. Because as a wise man uh, once said, you know, the, the, the road, what is it? The, the road to an uh, improvement or something like that is always under construction. So that means that there's going to be problems. There's going to be challenges. You're going to have to figure out a way to overcome that because that's what life is. And in Freemasonry, you will come upon that, especially in a group environment where you have to work together towards a common goal. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. How about that? And with that, brethren... I bid you adieu.